candlestick. Strictly shark fucks under no manners. Give me something to get my teeth into a head on the head with a piece of bamboo. I have got to get my meat. Here comes the shark attack. It's a load of crap and You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard the Tronics with Shark Fucks. And speaking of fucking, sucking, and shucking, please tune out if you're easily offended. Because today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with... Pansy Division! Coming up, John Ginoli from Pansy Division. John Ginoli's in town doing a reading on Tuesday night at Little Sisters at 7 p.m. from his book, Life in a Gay Rock Band. Coming up, Pansy Division. But first, here is a little bit of the donkeys from San Diego. (laughs) 
You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. That was Pansy Division with Anthem. And before that, Femme in a Black Leather Jacket. And let's see right now who's on the phone right now. Hello, are you there? I'm here, Nardwar. Who are you? John Ginoli from Pansy Division. Welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. John Ginoli from Pansy Division. We just played a couple of your tracks. You're not quite in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, but you're coming here soon. Or are you in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada right now? I'm in San Francisco, California, USA, but I'm going to be in Vancouver, B.C., Canada on Tuesday, March 31st. Doing a reading from your book at 7 p.m. at Little Sisters. Little Sisters on Davie Street, yes. And before I answered the phone that you were on, thank you for phoning in, John Ginoli from Pansy Division, I play the good old anthem from Pansy Division. Did it have a few bleeps in it? No, we played the uncensored version because we warned the listeners. We're warning the listeners right off the top. If you're Good offended, Lord, this is not my home country. If you're offended by Pansy Division, please tune out right now. And before that, we also played Femme in a Black Leather Jacket and Cocksucker Club 2. <laughs> Wow, well, I'm really getting a kick out of this. But you're playing three songs from our first album, and we've got a new one. You're right, and we're saving that to the end. It's amazing. I particularly love the song that Joel Reeder sings on your brand new record. It's amazing. 
Yeah, it's a really great song. Some of my best friends, and it has the word cock in it as well, doesn't it? And he's the, yeah. het- he's the hetero yeah. member of I the mean, band. I mean, Joel joined our band because he and Luis, our drummer, had been in a couple of bands together, including they are the rhythm section for the reformed San Francisco 70s punk band, The Avengers. And um, Joel had, I'd seen Joel play many times, and when we needed a guitar player, he volunteered to step in, and, you know, he's... He's a hetero guy in in our otherwise gay rock band, and you know he kind of wanted to do a song for the band, and you know we generally sing about sexual activity that doesn't include him, so we so he thought, well, I'll write a song about what it's like to have a lot of gay friends and you know be in a gay band. So I we love his song; it's a really good compliment to a lot of our other uh, material. Well, what I was wondering about is, John, you're coming to Vancouver doing a reading from your book. There's a movie about Pansy Division. Maybe you can tell people what was Pansy Division. What is Pansy Division? What is the book? If people have no idea, like I played Cocksucker Club, Femina Black Leather Jacket, Anthony. I'm talking about a hetero guy being in the band. Maybe some background on Pansy Division. Um, as far as we know, we were the first openly gay rock band, and there were other gay musicians in music at the time that we started in the early 90s, but people were not out then, and we thought that if nobody would come out, we'll be the band that'll you know, be way out there, and we'll sing about gay life, and we'll sing about it in an uncensored way, because uh, there's really no way we thought... You can't really make a career out of this, so we'll just go out there and do uh, whatever we want and not worry about commercial possibilities. But uh, even though we're not a big band, we've managed to uh, carry on now for, this is our 18th year. So we we found our little niche, and um, it's been really fun uh, dwelling there. And you're still rocking it with all this product, a new CD, a new book, a movie as well, John Ginoli from Pansy Division, a movie. Well, we had all of this stuff kind of in the pipeline, and um, it it unfolded at its own pace. But once I realized that all this stuff was about to materialize this year, first we thought about spreading it out, and then I thought, no, let's just put it uh, out all at once. It'll be this big explosion of material, which we have not done in a long time. In the last, our last album was six years ago. Only thing we've put out during that time is a uh, best of CD called The Essential Pansy Division, and so we thought, well, it's you know, it seems to be all or nothing. <laughs> so here we we're just giving it all right now. So we began the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show with Cocksucker Club, Femina Black Leather Jacket, Anthem by Pantavision. Any new developments, John, on those particular songs? Anything new about those songs that you've been playing for all these years? Anything new about those songs? You mean, have we changed them? Well, just curious, anything new, like any little new factoid, like somebody's come up to you and said something about those particular songs. Cocksucker Club, Femina Black Leather Jacket Anthem. I know on your website we didn't play it, the song Bunnies. It was interesting to find out that a ska band covered it in the mid-'90s. That was awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty fun version. I don't know really uh, what to say. I mean, we we still play the Cocksucker Club, and we still play uh, Feminine Black Leather Jacket Live. Anthem got retired a while ago, but, uh, you know, I still like it. But uh, those were kind of defining moments for our band. Like, we've got a band. We want to sing about being gay. What are we going to say? Feminine Black Leather Jacket's about a same-sex attraction. Uh, the Cocksucker Club came from a, uh, a conversation I was having with somebody who said about another guy that was gay, oh, he's in the club. And I thought, oh, what club might that be? Well, that's the club. And then Anthem was kind of a declaration of independence. And... Um, 
we've declared our independence now, and we've we've kind of moved on from that. But you know, we're we're singing about it in uh, ways that are uh, still out there, but but maybe uh, uh, less. Uh, I don't know, instructive. <laughs> oh, come on. You have a new song called 20 Years of Cock. You have not sold out, have you, John, from Pansy Vision? <laughs> no, there's no way we're going to be able to do that. <laughs> 20 Years of Cock. Has every record had the word cock on it? I think one of the records, I remember counting, only had the word cock on it like three times. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that song has it about 20 times to kind of make up for the shortage at different other points in our career. When you come to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, what exactly are you going to be doing on Tuesday at Little Sisters at 7 p.m.? You're going to be reading from your book. Are you going to be playing some tunes, too, for the Pansy Division fans? Uh, an acoustic, it's an acoustic thing. It's, it's free. And um, I will play some songs. I'm borrowing a guitar from one of the smugglers. So I'm... Um, um, you know, looking forward to doing the acoustic thing. I'll be playing pansy songs, but I'll be doing an acoustic thing, which is, I've been doing it now for a week. My book tour has been going on for a week, and uh, it's been really fun. I've never played acoustic really live before, so it's it's a nice alternative. And John Ginoli of Pansy Division, you love Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada too, don't you? You love Vancouver, the bathhouses! The ba I've never set foot in a bathhouse, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you, uh, uh, Nardwar. But um, I have in enjoyed uh, uh, several men uh, that I've met in Vancouver. But um, the place that I used to go, my, one of my favorite gay places in the world, was the karaoke bar that used to be connected to the Dufferin uh, in and you downtown guys used Vancouver. That was a really insane uh, karaoke place. And uh, you guys and brought... You guys uh, brought gone now. So you guys, I'm I'm sad to hear that. But, you guys um, brought down. I the was actually in Vancouver a year and a half ago on vacation because I missed uh, visiting people and I knew that Pansy Division wasn't going to be touring uh, in Canada up there again. You guys brought down the house every time you went for karaoke too. You and Chris, you do some Pat Benatar, eh? <laughs> yeah. And that's, what that's did a, what that's, did uh, that's a Chris thing? What did Pat Benatar's "Hit Me with Your Best Shot" turn into? Uh, uh, why don't you tell us? No, you tell me. I can't remember. Yes, you Apparently remember. you remember. Hit me with your big cock. You guys well, there you go. There, you brought down the house every time you guys did the karaoke <laughs> at the Dufferin. However, bathhouses in Vancouver are pretty famous. Like Sulu from Star Trek. He likes the bathhouses from Vancouver. Did you hear about that? Sulu. I did not. Sulu from Star Trek. Has he been integrated into any of your songs? I mean, there was a band called The Shatners associated with the High Fives. You were on Lookout Records. What's the closest you've got to Sulu, John Ginoli? Um, maybe shopping at Zulu Records in Vancouver. I think that's it. A baboom. And what's really amazing is you actually wrote fan letters to the pointed sticks. If listeners of the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, are very astute, you might have remembered John Ginoli of Pansy Vision speaking to me, Nardwar, the Human Serviette, live on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show here on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, phoning into my show a few years ago. Maybe it was like five or six years ago, a long time ago, John, where you were talking about how you had written a fan letter to the Point Sticks. Could you explain that to the people? Because Zulu Records used to be Quintessence Records, and they put out the Point Sticks, and one day I was at Zulu Records, and Grant from Zulu Records gave me a whole bunch of Point Sticks fan mail, and there was a letter from a John in Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> 
I used to have a lot of time on my hands when I was in college and doing a lot of college radio. And what I was trying to do at that time was writing letters to bands that I liked that I felt were underappreciated and obscure, trying to tell them to hang in there. And uh, I think my old, the letter you read me on air before was a little embarrassing, but, you know, I'm not sorry that I did it. But I wouldn't write that nowadays, <laughs> but I still love the pointed sticks, and I... Um, I'm sorry that I haven't been able to see them when they've reunited in the last few years. But it's so great that we were able to figure out it was you because you just signed it, John Champaign, uh-huh. Illinois. And then I thought, this could only be one person, John Ginoli. I remember meeting Greg Shaw of Bomp Records, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, he told me that... You know, there were there were a couple of hundred people uh, kind of in the underground scene in the U.S. at that time. We're sort of networking and and, uh, you know, contacting each other. And he's like, you know, yeah, you you were there and and you uh, uh, still, uh, you know, I met him a couple of years ago right before he died again. And he said, you know, we're, we're still out there trying to, you know, make make get find this great music and turn turn people on to it. So it's. Um, I guess it's a lifelong passion. Well, speaking of Champaign, Illinois, John, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Is your book called Life in a Gay Rock Band too? The book is called My Life, uh, it's called Deflowered, My Life in Pansy Division. So it's slightly different than the movie, the name. Yeah, we didn't want it to have the same name, but I, I, we wanted them to be similar because, you know, they're, they're interrelated. And so you're coming to Vancouver doing a reading, but you're also going all over North America, including to Champaign, Illinois, and you're going to have a reunion with your old band, The Outnumbered, I see, an outnumbered reunion. We haven't played in 22 years, so this will be interesting. Oh. Yeah, uh, there there were some people, I think this is a great idea, these people in my old college town had an idea to have a festival where they would try to get all their favorite old bands together from that town from 20 years ago. And so they invited a whole bunch of people to come and play, and I think there's half a dozen bands, uh, a few of which I don't know because they formed after I had left uh, that town. But uh, they're going to, we're all going to play one day on uh, our U.S. Memorial Day weekend. Are there any so names I that I... I'm going to be on my book tour. I can take a couple days, go to Champaign, and... Uh, uh, you know, rehearse and and wing it. So I think it'll be fun. You're really working it on this book tour, John. You are really working it. Is it just you in a car? It's an incredible amount of dates. Yes, it is. I think I've got 60 cities. Just you in a car? Me in a car and a guitar. What is the record label, or should I say, well, what does the record label and what does the book publisher think of all this sort of stuff? Because you were going on the... My my book publisher is really excited, but the problem is that they have limited resources. So uh, they're they're saying to me, John, nobody has done a book tour this long in 20 years for our company. So you have to hire your own publicist to arrange them because otherwise you would take all of the company's resources uh, uh, to get it done. So I I had to help hire someone to, to do it. So that's... But they're really happy that I'm going out there and doing it because it'll help sell books. A 60-date book tour. Are there many cool bookstores left? How hard is it to book a bookstore tour? Um, it's not too hard. I'm doing three-quarters of them are indie stores. I'm doing a few chain stores um, by request of, of my, my book company, uh, trying to you know balance between uh, uh, the, the two. Uh, 
But I feel like it's going to be easier than doing a band tour because when you're on tour with a band, Nardwar, I know you know how this goes, you, you f- have to find somewhere to stay. You get up in the morning, everybody has to take showers, figure out how and when to eat, where to go, and this takes hours. And then you finally drive and you get to the club and you have to wait around for the sound person to show up. Then you do a sound check, then you wait around for a few hours, then you play, and by the time it's all over, it's 2 in the morning. With a book tour, the hours are much better. I don't have to wait for anybody in the shower. I don't have to wait hours after sound check. I can show up at 6.30, do my reading at 7, and be done by 8. Isn't that, and, and that is far more civilized. I get to, I've, in the first week of my book tour, I went to bed earlier than I usually do when I'm home. What's really cool, too, is your publisher also publishes a book called The Mile High Club. I have not read it, but I have seen it, yes. Where did you find your publisher? Um, I know other people in San Francisco who have had books out, um, some gay, some straight, and um, I asked them who I should approach because I really didn't know anything about the book world, uh, the book business. So they recommended people, and um, they, I had a, you know, a hierarchy. It's like, okay, I'm going to try these people first and these people next. And um, in the first group of people that I approached, uh, my company, Cleus Press, had uh, – you know, called me within three days. Uh, so I was very pleased. I thought it would be a long, involved process. I feel very lucky. And if anybody has any questions for John Ginoli, please call in 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. John Ginoli is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada this Tuesday to Little Sisters for a reading about his book, from his book. And also, he's going to be talking about stuff in his movie. Well, if, if you watch your movie, you'll be seeing him talk stuff, Life in a Gay Rock Band. So any questions for John about Life in a Gay Rock Band, 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR for John Ginoli. Now, the now, mo- now, Narduar, now, now, did you see that there is actually going to be a screening of the film in Vancouver? I did, actually. Maybe you could tell the people about that. Yeah, that, that kind of got organized uh, quite recently, but... Um, uh, following the uh, the uh, event at Little Sisters, right down the street on the same block of Davy Street is, I guess it's a gay sports bar, uh, if that's not an oxymoron, or a gay-friendly sports bar called Score. And uh, they have all these big screen TVs, and they're going to show my movie um, at uh, 8, 830, 8 or 8.30. Is whenever I, you know, the, the gang will... I guess who that goes to the bookstore will then walk down the street and uh, see the movie if they want. So uh, I think there's a donation, but there's not a, a cover charge per se. Life in a Gay Rock Band, it was produced, or it says presented by Last Right. What is Last Right? How did they find you? Um, Chris, our bass player, who lives in Los Angeles, his job has been for the last few years um, to administer financial aid to colleges. So what he has done is worked for uh, various schools, and students come to them with their financial aid packages, and he tries to arrange it for them. One of the students that came to him was a film student because he was at a film school and uh, you know, learned who Chris was and found out about him and said, hey, I, do, I need to do a film for a class. I want to do my film on Pansy Division. So he was the director, and he... Uh, 
uh, interviewed us and collected footage from us, and uh, he and Chris worked together on it. Chris edited the film, but Michael Carmona is the director's name. He really called the shots. He said, okay, keep this in, take this out, you know, do this, do that. So we had some participation in it, but it's, um, um, it's an objective film. It's, it's not a... Um, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 a, a fair-minded thing. It's not just a self-glorification, but we did have a hand in it, and you know, it's partly about writing the book too. You know, maybe somebody could have written a book about me, but I thought, well, I'll just tell my story. So we, I tell my story in the book, and the band has a hand in uh, telling the story in the film too. But it's played in a lot of film festivals, especially gay film festivals, and has been uh, very well received. But it has not played in Vancouver, and in fact has not played in Canada yet, so that will be the Canadian debut. Which is kind of surprising, considering your strong ties to Canada, Manada, Mint Records, etc. There's a big connection between Pansy Division and Canada, right, John Ginoli? It's true, but I think it's more noted among rock fans than... Um, uh, programmers for gay film festivals. So I was kind of I was disappointed that we did not get into, you know, festivals in Toronto and 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 Vancouver and such. So I'm um, just taking it on the road myself. Well, looking at the actual movie, there's lots of Canadian clips. Like you have clips there from Much Music and Music Plus as well, don't you? They're excellent. I mean, w one of the reasons we liked going to Canada in the '90s was that when we would show up in Canada, we were treated like a much bigger deal than we were in the States by the media there. And uh, so we got interviewed by uh, Sukyun Lee, um, and that interview now, was a star uh, when we were on Much Music in Toronto one year. Um, and that's great footage in the movie. So a lot of our best footage came from the amount of tension, attention that uh, Canadian music channels gave to us. So that's why the footage is in there. They had the best footage. And the footage is quite interesting. What's going on with the dildo in that footage? Like much music dildo footage. That's pretty rare, John Ginoli of Pansy Division. I don't think most bands get that kind of treatment when they used to visit much music studios. The... Uh, idea of that Sukyun Lee had was to um, talk about the safe sex aspect of our songs because though Pansy Division sings about sex a lot it's you know within the context of a safe sex experience and that is I think a responsible way of, of dealing with the fact that yeah you know we like to sing about sex but AIDS is a reality so let's not just put the sex out there without uh, talking about the realities of the situation. And she picked up on that and had us demonstrate uh, how to put on a condom, and she did that by uh, wearing a dildo. Live? I don't think they were going to show the real thing on, on TV, even in Canada. How did you get those clips? Did you have to license them, or did you just go for it? We just went for it. There's a, 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 a law call in the States called Fair Use, and the idea is if you use a small uh, excerpt of something, then, uh, you know, you don't really need permission. But please don't talk about it too loudly. <laughs> However, thank you very much, Yvette Ray from Mint Records, for setting up a lot of those interviews, eh? Yvette from Mint Records? Yeah, I just talked to her an hour ago. So, uh, uh, yeah, Yvette is, is 
a wonderful Canadian resource. You have a lot of Canadian friends, John Ginoli from Pansy Division, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, doing a reading. I guess we should be clear here. You're doing a reading. Pansy Division are not playing, but you're doing some acoustic numbers at Little Sisters on Tuesday, and there's going to be a screening of your movie afterwards, right? Like, no Pansy Division gig in Vancouver at this point. I'm, I'm afraid that is true. But there will be some Pansy Division acoustic ones, I bet. And you have lots of friends in Vancouver. Did Pansy Division once shoot a sort of racy video in Vancouver, John Ginoli? Um, this is a wonderful story. Uh, in the late 90s, there was a gay porn website headquartered in Vancouver called Chisel.com. And they had been wanting to uh, get more uh, people to visit their site. Uh, so their idea was to establish a non-X-rated part of their website and, and create content that people would want to come visit. So they decided to do a pan, they offered to do a Pansy Division uh, music video, uh, and we did two versions of it. We did a, a G-rated version and then an X-rated version, using some of the gay porn actors who were employed by Chisel that were making films uh, to be in our video. And it didn't cost us anything. We collaborated on a script. They filmed us. Uh, one time when we were in town playing, we took a day off and did a video shoot the, the following day, and then they ended up later filming uh, other footage with the actors where there are some sex scenes and putting that together for us. So it was a, a terrific experience. It turned out really well. But then Chisel got bought by somebody else, and uh, uh, you know, I don't know what became of those folks. Because that was sort of missing from your movie. I didn't see clips of that in your movie, i.e. the uncensored version was not That's in. That's true. There's, there's, there's short clips of it when the song in question, Vicious Beauty, comes up in the film. But uh, I don't think that was left out for deliberate reasons. That's just what they ended up deciding to use. Now, aside from the fact that you wrote a fan letter to the Pointed Sticks in 1980, John Ginoli of Pan's Vision, I'm also fascinated that Chris from your band was born in Aberdeen, Washington, home of Kurt Cobain, but in your movie, he said he was from Seattle. How come he didn't say he's from Aberdeen? He was born in Seattle, and he lived in Aberdeen uh, for a few years as a teenager. Didn't you think you could kind of squeeze that in there? Like, I was waiting for Aberdeen to be mentioned. <laughs> Uh, it's in my book, but it's not in the film. Uh, the, the, the book is a really nice, detailed account of life in the band, and the film is a really fun sort of uh, visual uh, pull-the-pin-and-rip uh, run through our, our lifespan with a lot of great footage, but not as much uh, detail. So uh, I think for a fan of the band, uh, the, the book is, uh, uh, is full of more, more dish, more information uh, about details of our lives. The, uh, the movie is a good summary, though. Well, John Ginoli of Pan's Vision, I did know that you would have mentioned that in your book, because you do save everything. You keep everything so well documented, <laughs> John Ginoli, including the phone message from Jello Biafra. Could you explain yes. to the people a bit about that that happens in your movie? Jello Biafra, the Dead Kennedys, was an early supporter of Pan's Vision. And actually, maybe you should tell the people, when did Pan's Vision form? We formed in 1991, the phone message in question is from 1992. Um, early on in our career, uh, right when we started was when Nirvana uh, were huge. And uh, you know, I don't know if people remember this, but when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, it was really hard to understand the words, and there was all this uh, speculation about what the song actually said. There was no lyric sheet when Nevermind came out. That uh, uh, materialized later. 
but when uh, uh, when we were thinking about uh, you know gay you know who might be gay in music, you know we were just speculating out loud. We thought, wow, maybe the reason why you can't understand and smells like Teen Spirit is because the lyrics they're singing about gay stuff, and they're just you know garbling them and, and yelling them and screaming them, so they're not audible. What if it's a gay song? So we wrote the lyrics based on our own set of lyrics to Smells Like Teen Spirit, called it Smer- Smells Like Queer Spirit, and put it out as the B-side to our first single. Um, well, we had worried about that. So Jello Biafra was the MC for a benefit concert in Portland, Oregon, that Nirvana were uh, playing for, for no money, where at the time they were trying to pass an anti-gay um, ballot amendment in Oregon, and a lot of uh, bands and artists and musicians banded against that. So when Jello MC'd this show, because he was thinking about putting out our record, we ended up not going with his record label at that time, he... I said, he said, I'm going to see Nirvana this weekend. And I said, well, could you ask them if they mind if we do Smells Like Teen Spirit as Smells Like Queer Spirit? And he said he had the three of them together and asked them, and they said it was fine with them. It didn't matter. They didn't care. Sure, go ahead. Um, And he called me up on the phone to uh, tell me that, and I uh, kept the cassette. And it's in the movie, uh, that, that tape recording. Just in case for legal purposes, right? That's why you kept it all these years. Yes. However, you ended up getting reunited with Jello Biafra on your brand new CD. <laughs> yes. We had, uh, it was a very innocent idea. We had recorded a song for our new album called Average Men, and um, we had finished recording the song in the studio, and uh, I turned to Chris and I said, you know, Jello is going to love that song. And Chris's response was, well, we should get him to sing on it. But uh, we'd already finished the song. I'd already uh, sung my vocal, but we got Jello to come to the studio a few weeks later, and he uh, did his version of it, and we kind of cut and pasted the thing together. It's now a duet uh, of sorts. And I'm really happy because he, he did a great job. You know, it, it, it sounded like it was, would be right up his alley, and uh, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's the best thing he's done in years, but I'm a little prejudiced. And that's Jello Biafra, head of Alternative Tentacles Records. Your previous record head, Larry Livermore, is also interviewed for your movie, My Life in a Gay Rock Band, Life in a Gay Rock Band, Pan's Vision. Speaking to John Ginoli of Pan's Vision, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday, 7 p.m. at Little Seasters. Larry Livermore from Lookout Records was also interviewed in your movie. Where was he interviewed? He looks great. He was interviewed in Brooklyn, where he lives. Luis, our drummer, lives in Brooklyn, um, uh, which I believe is famous for being uh, the new town of A.C. Newman. Uh, And um, they filmed him there. I don't know what the location was. He looks great, doesn't he? Yes, he looks excellent. Because he was a bit older than everybody else, wasn't he? Yeah, he uh, came to the the scene late, but, uh, you know, smarter, older, wiser. And he mentioned that you sold 7,000 in one week, 7,000 copies of Pansy Division in one week. Did you ever top that? And what was the most that you sold of one particular CD? The thing is that that CD was pile-up, and that sold about 23,000 copies. So most of it, you know, 7,000 of it came that first week because the first week that album came out was the week that uh, MTV did their uh, segment on queer punk, which heavily featured us. So it was after the Green Day tour that we had just finished two months before. They did this uh, 
MTV News segment on queer punk, and then and it happened to be the same week uh, when our third album came out. So that was a big, uh, big boost to us. But you know, it, it helped a lot. But you know, we you know twenty three thousand. That's respectable. It's not a gold record. It isn't even by punk rock standards a gold record. But you know, we could spray paint one pink and give ourselves a, a pink record. The Green Day tour footage is fascinating in your movie. I love the shots of the kids in the audience reacting to you or not reacting to you. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, you know, a lot of that footage, I don't even know where it came from. Like, stuff that fans uh, and friends gave to us. Uh, just we had this pile of tapes and we started going, uh, reviewing them, trying to figure out what looked good and what had uh, yeah, interesting footage. Um, uh, so that was um, uh, good to rediscover. But yeah, we it was uh, amazing going from small clubs, um, and then suddenly we're playing big halls, and then we go from halls to arenas. Um, mind blowing, uh, and mind blowing uh, speed from one to the other. And what I didn't realize was that you fired your drummer halfway through the tour. How did your drummer Butch react to being fired halfway through a tour with Green Day? He actually was. We did. We did a summer tour with them, and then a few months later, we did a fall tour. And it was after the summer tour that uh, uh, we let him go. Uh, that was a case of when Green Day asked us to go on tour. We were drummerless, and we had planned on going on a tour later that year. And thought, uh, we've got five months to find another drummer because we had had drummer problems when we first started out finding a permanent one. Uh, so we. We asked several people to do this Green Day tour, and it was people we knew people in other bands who had helped us out, but it was too long for them to uh, to do, or they just weren't available. So we really had to scramble to find somebody to do it, and the guy we got was not very good. But in that situation, you do the best you can. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't as good as what we had in mind as to what our band should sound like. How many gigs did you do with Green Day? You mentioned two particular tours with them. I also remember you telling me stories of having to follow Green Day, i.e. follow their bus. It, like You'd leave right after the gig and get there just before the gig began, and they'd already be in the town for hours. How stressful was that? How many gigs did you do, and how hard was it getting around? Uh, we played, I think it was almost, I think it was 38 shows, 40 shows, some, something like that. And the summer tour, well, when they finally started playing arenas, they got a bus. And when they got a bus, they would get in the, van, uh, in the bus after the show, sleep on the bus overnight, and drive to the next city. But we'd be you know, in our van, and we'd be scrambling for a place to stay, and then we'd get up in the morning and drive. So the upshot was they would book bigger distances between cities because... Uh, it didn't really matter to them. They'd be sleeping uh, uh, while they drove. We didn't have that luxury. There were shots also of the crowd, like huge slam pits for you. What do you remember about huge slam pits for Pansy Division opening for Green Day? The kids at those shows were moshing to anything. You know, they'd be playing music over the, the sound system before the bands came on, and they'd already be crowd surfing and, and moshing. And we came on, and uh, they would 
mosh and they'd slam and they do it in between songs too it's just that's what they wanted to do that was the 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 style of the moment and then of course when green day came on it it was you know even more intense but they were ju- we were just kind of in the way they would mosh to us just because they were there to mosh who has said that they saw you on that particular tour in the movie it mentions about patrick your guitarist actually having seen you open for green day who saw you open for green day um thousands of teenagers not very many adults was Patrick really in the audience then, checking you guys out? Was it in Colorado that he lived? He was living in Denver, and he came to the show there. Yeah, I remember meeting him, actually. And he's a guitarist in Pan's Vision. It was at one time, but he also played in a Christian heavy metal band. That's pretty interesting, from Christian heavy metal to Pan's Vision. In high Vision? school, yeah. To Pan- I think it was a situation where he wanted just to play in bands and played in whatever kind of bands he could back then. He did leave Pansy Division. He was in our band for seven years. But when he left the band, he formed a metal band. And now he plays in a band, another band that has records out from uh, here called Hammers of Misfortune. You have really interesting connection to all sorts of different people. Like, I did not know about your connection to the Thinkin' Fellows Union, the Thinkin' Fellows Union, the legendary Thinkin' Fellows Union band from San Francisco, John Ginoli of Pansy Division. Um, I don't know how many of your fans remember the singer-songwriter Barbara Manning from the Bay Area, late 80s, early 90s, had a band called the SF Seals on Matador Records in the 90s. She was a friend of ours, and when we were hunting for a gay drummer, um, we asked all our friends and acquaintances, and she said, oh, well, my friend Jay is gay. He plays in Thinking Fellers Union. So Jay played with us for about eight months, but Pansy Division took off pretty fast, and we ended up being too busy for somebody who just wanted something to do for fun on the side. We were getting to demand too much of his time. So even though it was fun playing with Jay, he had to uh, go back to the thinking fellers. You also had Juliana Luking as well. That's like a Kill Rock Stars reference, isn't it? Yes, he was a spoken word artist who played drums. And there was a uh, when Bill Clinton became president, it was after 12 years of Republican presidents, there was a hope that gay rights would be advanced somewhat by a Democratic administration. So they planned a big gay march on Washington in the spring of 93. Uh, Chris and I went, but our drummer at that time, David, could not go. So we flew to New York and, um, or flew to D.C. and had uh, uh, people we knew there uh, ask around and see who might be willing to fill in on drums. And that was Juliana. And it was uh, uh, pretty unrehearsed, but it was really fun. Whatever happened to David Ward? Um, he, uh, you know, I have not seen him in a while. Don't know. Sweet guy. For filming of your movie, whose idea was it to have subtitles? Uh, for the songs? I think that came about when, uh, Chris and Michael were reviewing the footage and found that some footage had better, um, visual quality than others and some had better sound quality than others. So for visuals, uh, so for good visuals that had maybe slightly subpar sound, uh, we use subtitles. And I, I'm, I thought that was a really good move. And the sound you're hearing is that of John Ginoli of Pansy Division coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on Tuesday to do what, John Ginoli? I'm going to read from my Pansy Division memoir, and I will play acoustic Pansy Division songs at Little Sisters on Davy Street. And just down the street at the bar score will be a screening of the Pansy Division documentary film, Pansy Division, Pansy Division, My Life 
in a gay rock band. What sort of bars have you played over the years? The names of them. Did you ever play the cock in New York City? No, it's a gay bar, but we did play Dicks on Dicks in uh, Vancouver. Was that up there on the names? Yeah, Richards on Richards. That was good. And John Ginoli, winding up here, speaking about your movie, there wasn't too much mention of band relationships at all in the movie, like personal relations of boyfriends, etc., etc. It's true. We we kept the the main subject of the movie was actually the band. It wasn't me. It wasn't Chris. It was the band as a a person, you know, the, the band as an organic thing. So we, we focused on that and didn't go into uh, the personal stuff too deeply. Everybody got to say a little bit about their background, but uh, but no, there, there's two things that are missing from the movie, in, in my opinion. There isn't enough uh, live performance footage. We have remedied that by including a bonus disc of uh, performances uh, with the DVD, uh, but a lot of the music in the film is from clips that are pretty short. And the other thing is there's, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Take that phrase. Well, our movie has lots of rock and roll, not very much sex, and no drugs, partly because there's hardly any drugs in our band anyway. It, we're, we're a low-drama group. And we had uh, – uh, but there's more of the sex in the book <laughs> that's missing from the movie. Aha. Uh-huh. I was wondering about Joel's song, though. Back to Joel's song, Joel Reader from Mr. T Experience, The Avengers. His song he authors called Some of My Best Friends, and it has the lyrics, Some of My Best Friends Like to Suck Your Little Dick. I nope, th- nope, nope. It's Some of My Friends Like to Suck a Little Dick. You should read your lyric sheet. No, oh, no. because I thought it was your little dick. I thought they were talking about you, John Ginoli. I thought I mean, it was no, like interband relationships. No like songs about each other in bands and stuff like that. There, we are not Fleetwood Mac. Baboo, you are Pansy Division, and you can <laughs> get that DVD through Alternative Tentacles Records as well. It's out now, too. It's in stores. So you can actually buy the DVD, right? I believe the official street date is Tuesday, the day I'm in Vancouver. So if it's not out yet, it will be probably as of next week. Are there any Easter eggs on the DVD? I couldn't find any Easter eggs. I know not of what you speak. You know, like secret sort of buttons that you hit, and then suddenly, oh. you know, something comes up. No, no, it's, there, uh, there are no hidden doorways to, to any secret rooms. I also could have got you some better footage of Rob Halford. It looked pretty awful there. There's a little clip of Rob Halford and me there. I could have got you some better footage there, John. I don't know why we didn't. Honest to God. But, you know, I wasn't involved with making the film, so um, you'd have to ask Chris. But I will say thank you so much for the hookup with Rob Halford. When I had a chance to interview Rob Halford, I talked to Chris, and Chris just said, tell Rob Halford you know Pansy Division. I did, and the interview went amazing. Thank you so much. John Ginobili always, of always happy Vision. to help. Oh, totally. You helped me get together with Rob Halford. <laughs> now, I, All right. Apparently, you actually hung out at his place, but I never really got the full story on this. He has a dungeon at his place. Rob Halford of Judas Priest has a dungeon, and you've actually been to his dungeon? Well, I, I don't want to downplay it, but it is just a room off of his garage, made of cinder blocks, but it, it is a dungeon. I, I won't say any more.
The also, the also the footage of you guys at Gay Pride performing with Rob Halford is just stellar. Like you and Rob Halford doing a tune together, doing Breaking Law, also did it at the Casbah. I noticed a lot of audience members jumping up and embracing Rob Halford. Did he need security? It looked like somebody was running and grabbing him there at the end. There was security, but it wasn't lined up against the front of the stage. There, It was on the side, and eventually, you know, it didn't take too long for... Uh, the fans who jumped on stage to be pried away from him. But uh, we're not used to people rushing us on stage, and I think that we were not expecting that to happen. It's such great footage, Darren. Also, I mean, Pansu Vision teaches me so much. You teach me so much, Pansu Vision, John Ginoli, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Little Sisters, reading from your book, and also movie action afterwards. You teach me about Rob Halford, but also about Steve Albini. In your movie, the footage of you through Steve Albini's studio. I've never seen that before. That was just fascinating. Pansu Vision at Steve Albini's studio. You had lots of shots of that, too. I wish I had actually remembered to interview Albini when we had uh, done our album with him because we had brought a video camera with us, and that's how we got that footage. But, uh, you know, when you're involved in the middle of doing something, uh, sometimes you uh, forget to step back a little bit and think, hey, what else could I have done? Uh, But uh, it was a major impact. Uh, That that album that we did with with Albini made a major impact on our band and on our career. So we... uh, uh, so we're proud to document uh, the making of it. His studio looked pretty huge, too. You were out of breath just walking around it. He has this this big room where he would record the instruments, and um, it was uh, it was an industrial building that he had purchased and uh, fitted out as a studio. Uh, so there was this huge ceiling in one room, and you had to go down. It was really two flights of stairs, uh, so it was uh, 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 quite a bit of, of walking, quite a few steps. John Ginoli of Pansy Division, winding up here with John Ginoli from Pansy Division. Is it true you also taught me about Pamela Lee and Tommy Lee as well? Did you guys break that video? I don't know where it came from, but the infamous Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee video where, um, you know, they're having sex on their boat, and Tommy Lee is naked, and he's honking the horn of his boat with his dick. Uh, used to get passed around, and um, we would, you know, if we got something cool like that back in the days of VHS tapes, uh, we'd pass it on too. Another tape that we passed on to various people that I believe originated from Nico Case was the infamous Metallica drummer cassette. Yes, it emanated from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and the Night Gallery, and made it all the way down to you. And Metallica, the Metallica drummer video cassette, I guess people now probably wonder, well, who cares about VHS? We have the internet, but I guess pre-internet, these things were traded, and you taught me about Tommy Lee. You taught me about Steve Albini. You taught me about Halford, Panzervision, but also Metallica. Like, is it true that you guys really had Kirk Hammett on your record? I've seen the footage, but is that really Kirk Hammett? He doesn't say a word. Is it really him? It's hard to believe, but yeah, it's him. I, the, I had written a song about being into heavy metal dudes with long hair, and I it called a headbanger. And uh, I am no guitar soloist. And that, at that time, we were still a trio, but I, I wanted to have a heavy metal guitar solo on it, and I knew somebody who could do it quite well. But our drummer at the time said, well, I know Kirk Hammett. Maybe I could get him to come down and play on a record. I'm like, well, sure. 
um, and we were in a studio in San Francisco that was on the street that the Hammett lived on. Um, so we, so our drummer called him up, and he came down and uh, uh, was there for a whole half hour. Brought his amp, his roadie set up his amp, played the song. Uh, actually, not even the song, just the, the the guitar solo section. And he went through and played it once, uh, and listened to it and said okay, and then went back and ripped the solo and uh, was done with it in one take or sec- second take. But you know, it's like second try. He did it. And then he packed up and he was gone. Have, uh, so we got a couple pictures uh, of the event documented. He did not want us to use his name on the record. We we never have. Um, it was a secret for a while, but then it kind of got out as secrets like that should. You know, we we took some time before spilling the beans, but he eventually admitted to it in an interview in Kerrang. Uh, so I feel okay talking about it in public now. But yes, Kirk Hammett did play on a Pansy Division song. I just. His, his pseudonym that he gave us was Al Shatanya. That was his uh, one of his hotel check-in pseudonyms, he told us. John Ginoli of Pansy Division, you joke in your movie about how Metallica completists will want to buy that record to complete their collection. <laughs> I guess the word really didn't get out that much because we didn't sell that many more of that. Uh, record than more than any of our others. I think that single sold about 2,500 copies. However, the Metallica influence continues on till today. 20 years of cock. You also have Never You Mind on your brand new CD. That's really metal, isn't it? The song Never You Mind. I think it's kind of grungy, actually. It's sort of grunge punk. I, I don't think it's metally. It's not metally to me. I Although th- I do think Chris, the singer and writer of that song, I think he does almost sound like Ozzy at some point. Uh, in the song vocally, but uh, Ozzy really never sang songs that fast. What sort of opportunities have been given for soundtracks, etc.? For instance, the Milk soundtrack. Did you ever stand any chance to get on the Milk soundtrack? Uh, no, I don't think so. No one ever asked. Have you been approached to do any soundtracking? Not lately. We were in, uh, the last thing we did is a few years ago, uh, we were in an episode of The O.C., they did an episode where uh, some of the characters got locked in a mall overnight, and uh, they used a, a song of ours. It's a, actually a hidden bonus track at the on mall. the previous my, album. I love that. At the mall. That's my favorite track. <laughs> it's 12 minutes long. It's, it's ridiculous. And so you were on the OC? Um, our song was on the OC, yeah. But not Pan's Edition. Uh, no, as uh, in, a, in the movie or in the TV show, no, no. And John Ginoli... Winding up here, lastly, you have a song called 20 Years of Cock on your brand new CD. That's so gay. Pan's Vision does. Have you run out of things to do with the dick after all these years? Uh, no. Have there been any dick breakthroughs, like new stuff? For instance, you know, surgically cut cocks. You know, when no, it- I, I don't know about that. However, I do have a friend in New York who... Um, had a, a penis extension done, and um, so I'm, I'm hoping that he will show up when I'm in New York next month. Now, is that where, like, they cut the cock, and then when a the cock heals, it's a two-headed cock? No. <laughs> I guess he gained about an inch and a half. Has anyone put the internet in a cock? I don't know what you mean. You know, like 3G in a cock. I'm just wondering, after 20 years of cock, John Ginoli... 
you know, how much abuse a cock can take? Have you learned anything after 20 years? Um, I think I know how to use it pretty well by now, yeah. I, I, the song is called 20 Years of Cock, but actually I've had more than 20 years of cock. It's just that not everybody in my band uh, has. So it's kind of the average between the gay members of our band. So um, I've, I've had more now. And, John, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on Tuesday. One more time, tell the people where they can check you out and where they can also find out more information on Pansy Division. Uh, PansyDivision.com for more info. Uh, Tuesday night, the 31st at 7 o'clock at Little Sisters on Davie Street. I'll read from my book about Pansy Division and play some acoustic uh, versions of Pansy songs. And then following that, uh, sometime between 8 and 8.30, we will be at, I will be at SCORE uh, down the street on Davie uh, screening the Pansy Division film. John, thanks so much for phoning into the Nardwater Human Serviette radio show. I really appreciate it. I always learn stuff about Pansy Division every time I speak to you. And one of the things, lastly, lastly here, I wanted to leave this, is with a little clip here of you being talked about on the Howard Stern show. What can you tell the people about that? And then we're going to kick into 20 years of cock. I was, it was the very end of the tour we did with Green Day where we had played uh, two shows in New York. And uh, we had, uh, I had actually met Howard Stern. The funny thing is we were backstage at the Green Day show and it was dark. The lights were down because Green Day were about to go on. And this guy comes walking towards me with this big mop of black hair and glasses on. I thought it was Joey Ramone and I almost had a heart attack. Instead it was Howard Stern, which... Uh, was okay, but uh, I don't know. I'm not the biggest Howard Stern fan, but he's all right, I guess. But uh, he uh, saw us play and uh, went on and on about us the next Monday morning, because it was a weekend. The next Monday on his show, he went on uh, at length, and uh, it was taped and sent to me. And, of course, I kept it. And now it's actually available on the Pansy Division website on our audio page. You can listen to Howard Stern talking about Pansy Division for 11 minutes. And that's what we're going to hear right now. Well, thanks again for phoning in John Ginoli of Pansy Division. Why should people care about Pansy Division, John Ginoli? I think we're a great band. I grew up listening to hetero songs, even though I was gay, and I could still relate to them. So I think if you've got a good band, you're singing about gay stuff, gay people will relate to it, and hetero people can go, oh, that's interesting. I can see that. Well, thanks so much, John. Keep on rocking in the free world, and doot doot a loot do Doot-doot. Did you ever get to the concert, by the way? Yeah, I went to uh, the Green Day concert Friday night Yeah. at the Nassau Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got there, and there was this band on stage called Pansy Division. Right. <laughs> Which was an all-gay band. And don't they, mm-hmm. like, expose themselves and stuff? Well, yeah, we couldn't wait to get there because uh, what happened was as soon as we got there, everyone, like, from the Coliseum was saying, they, the, evidently, when you work the Coliseum, they went down to Philadelphia to check those guys out the night before to see Green Day because they like to see how the concert goes, what they should be prepared for, and all that well, kind of stuff. That's a nice life. Yeah, well, you know, but it, it, it really is part of their job because if there's any kind of trouble or potential trouble, they want to know about it. So evidently, in Philadelphia, when the Pansy Division went on, which is these three gay guys who just, every song is about getting, you know, stuff done to their buttocks. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I got to hear their album, too. And they come out with, like, a big dildo, and they're, you know, they're <laughs> playing with a dildo. You know, it's like, it's re- they're real gay. They're super they're gay. They're doing it to the max. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the word was that in Philadelphia, when Pansy Division went on, the crowd went nuts. They wanted to beat them up. They were trying to storm the stage. Because, <laughs> oh, you know, man. this is mostly, like, 15- and 16-year-old boys. Uh, 
you know, who are having questions about their own masculinity, and suddenly there's a band up there, and these guys are going around singing about getting stuff done to their butts. See, I was going to ask you, if Pansy Division is that out there, has, yeah. have times changed and guys aren't all crazy about that anymore? But I'll tell you something, the crowd at the Nashville Coliseum, while they weren't, they weren't, you know, raving about that. Because <laughs> it was really weird, like, I started, like, moving around trying to dance or tap my feet to the <laughs> Pansy Division, and then all of a sudden I go, wait a second, I'm, oh. I'm tapping my feet to a guy talking about getting stuff done to his butt. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving the high Mellow sign out. to a guy who's saying, hey, I will. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I, I said to Ralph, you know, you're dancing a little too much here to the Pansy Division. Everyone was, like, standing still during you Pansy Division. what you do. Gotta yeah, watch the guys, body language. Yeah, they were rocking and stuff. But, yeah, are uh, they good? Yeah, they were, they, were, they were good. I enjoyed it. I met the guy from Pansy Division afterwards. Yeah. Because okay. they, they're big fans of our show. Oh, really? We should have him in there. <laughs> well, what happened was some kid comes up to me. He must have been about 15 years old. And he's chubby little blonde boy. And he comes up to me and he says, uh, he's like, no, 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 no. I, I go, dude, I can't hear you. Talk to Ralph. Ralph will hear you. So Ralph, like, is rapping to him and stuff, goes off to the side of the stage. Turned out it was the drummer from Pansy Division. Oh, you're kidding. Guy blew him off. Big, big fan. Big fan, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. He's a little tiny guy. He looked like he was 15 years old. Mm. And they're so proud to be gay. They're, they're more proud to be gay than I am to be heterosexual. <laughs> it never struck you that way. The guitar player, the... Uh, Rhythm guitar player was so gay. I mean, I've never <laughs> see, seen a guy. See, I gotta see this group. Yeah, you, you know, I yeah. keep hearing about them. I, I'm dying to see them. They, were, they like, are so gay. Yeah, they were. They were like the gayest guys I'd ever seen. <laughs> what does the crowd do when the announcer says, "And now here's"? Well, they don't announce them. And, and, well, first cool. of all, it takes you about 20 minutes to realize that they're singing about gay stuff. Because, you know, they're rocking and stuff. But all of a sudden, you start listening to words, and something's a little bit off. Because they're like, <laughs> they're like, you know, I need a date with a guy. I wish he'd take his underpants off, you know. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, whoa. His butt was so nice. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, I don't want to be tapping my feet to this. I mean, they're really singing. His butt was so nice. Oh, oh but yeah. much. I can't even tell you what they were singing because I'll get thrown off the air <laughs> about this stuff that was being done to their butts. Oh, and... I got to get this album. <laughs> that stuff worked. <laughs> I got to go out and buy it. Yeah, well, they're really into it. So, <laughs> How about that one song where they started outing everybody? Yeah, then they start... Oh, they sing about who's gay? Yeah, yeah. they sing about who's gay, and then all of a sudden, they start yelling out guys' names, <laughs> which I'm going to refrain from doing here because... Because, I don't know, I don't know how actionable it is, but the lead singer starts, like, screaming out who's gay. Wow, and you can't tell me, you can't sing the song to me. Sing, this, this is some song, I mean, they're yelling out names. There was no... I just want the part where they yell out the names. I'll tell you off the air. So, uh... Do you believe them? Yeah, of course. Oh. Yeah, it was like homo. It was like homo news on stage. You know, it was like, and now the homo news. <laughs> yeah. So they had pansy division, and they really looked gay, acted gay, sang about being gay, had queer T-shirts on, and all kinds of stuff. And Lance yeah. said the night before they were making out. On so I guess it's whatever yeah. moves them on a particular yeah. night. Yeah. Well, we were looking forward to watching them make out and get undressed on stage and stuff, but they they were pretty calm uh, at the Coliseum. We wanted to see really gay stuff. Yeah, we went. Yeah, we were like we. Like, I want to, you know, what you happens want your is... your money back. You were ripped off. <laughs> well, between groups, you know, the house lights come up. So I was ready to leave when I thought Pansy Division was done and just stand backstage till Green Day came on. And uh, Ralph says, no, we better wait because they might start doing real homo stuff. <laughs> and, you, 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 know, you know, if they're on stage doing homo stuff, you don't wanna we want to be here for that when the crowd goes nuts. There was nobody no. backstage. I mean, that backstage scene was weird in itself because there were no hot girls. You know, it's not like a Van because Halen Green Day or, Because yeah. Green Day is anti-everything that is yeah. show business. Good. You got to like hear this. That. No, they were all guys. <laughs> well, I'm getting older, but I'm getting older. Well, yeah, maybe.
this before We take off our clothes before we're in the door Eight hours of work is especially tough When three times a day is barely enough I got the carrot, you got the stick You start to nibble, I start to lick And we get our bodies all hot and sweaty and runny And then we fuck like bunnies Showing up early catches me off guard Hearing your knock on my door gets me hard You drive me rough like a pickup truck It's a never-ending, non-stop boy fuck I got the carrot, you got the stick You start to nibble, I start to lick And we get our bodies all hot and sweaty and runny And then we fuck like bunnies Can we get our 